Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Boy, how what a blessing to see everyone here this morning. It is. It is so good to see everyone. This is. I still can't believe, I still can't believe that God has allowed my family and I to be a part of this church family. Uh, man, it's the love between people here. And we have, you know, uh, I was talking to Mark, uh, our, our fire chief, who him, him and, uh, and uh, Aaron, uh, you know, the, the Lamont family, they, they, uh, attend church here and they, they came and visited us at Harvest Prayer Partners, uh, Mark did, and with a bunch of the firefighters and just the community here, just the, the sense of family and the sense of people caring for each other. Uh, this is this is very unique and our fire department's very unique. Our our people are very unique and is what a blessing. Aren't you blessed to be a part of this church family? Amen. Uh, and you know what, as, as part of that, uh, we have some members of our church family who are directly touched by the situation in Ukraine, and I'm not going to go into details on that. I want to respect their privacy, um, but they have been truly blessed by all the gift cards and all the love that our church has given them. Uh, there are people who have no idea who they are, they haven't met them, and yet they've just poured their love and generosity out towards them, and so... Um, Thank you for that. Continue doing that. You can see uh, Connie there in the office. If you if you can uh, um, continue on with the gift cards and things, and um, just to tell them that hey, uh, we love you guys. Uh, we know that uh, it's got to be hard being away from home and not knowing how how bad things are over there. But we love you, and uh, that's a cool thing. So thank you everybody for just just being God's people and. And a loving church. Um, I got, actually got to to speak with uh, one of the family members on Friday, and he was he was mentioning just how grateful um, they are for the outpouring of love. So, uh, if you would turn with me to Luke chapter five, Luke chapter five, and we're in verse twelve. Um, as you may have noticed, we. We don't get through a whole chapter in a Sunday. Um, we're going to be in Luke for a little while because we want to dig in and, and go deep. So um, we are in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering uh, for your cleansing. And Moses commanded, as Moses rather commanded, for a proof for them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and the crowds gathered to hear him, and he healed their and to be healed rather of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. 
our merciful God, we thank you for giving us this, this beautiful Sunday uh, to gather in your name. We surrender our thoughts and our minds to you to be cleansed by your holy word that you've given for us to know you by. Transform us, Lord, we pray, through your scriptures. And may we approach your scriptures with submission and reverence this morning. May we receive your perfect will by your grace. God, we invite your Holy Spirit to fill this place, to inhabit our hearts as we open your word, as we partake in that which gives us knowledge of you and of your good character. We give this time over to you and over to your word in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, our culture, I don't know if you've noticed, has taken some dramatic shifts over the last few years. Have you noticed that? Uh, we, one of those things, we've really gotten away from physical touch, haven't we? Like, we stay at arm's length and you know, the whole COVID thing, right? How many of us before COVID came into church and gave and received a whole lot more hugs? Is that, yeah? How many of you want to get back to that? <laughs> That's true. There are some people I know when I walk in this door, I'm getting the physical touch, right? And I love it. Well, you know, but even, even though we're pretty much out of the woods still, it's, it's still weird. It's a little uncomfortable to touch people. Um, and we immediately notice when somebody coughs or sneezes and we begin our exit strategy, right? Have you noticed that? Like, I, was, I think that was a sneeze. I'm pretty sure it was a sneeze. I'm going to go out those doors, right? It, we do that. Um, anybody here come from an Italian family? Anyone? Am I? I'm the only one? Wow. Um, I will tell you this whole COVID social distancing has got to be the hardest for the Italians because they are touchy people. Um, they, Felice, uh, my dad's cousin, lives in Italy. Um, he's probably the closest one of us that still, uh, that still lives in Italy. Um, does anybody know how Italians greet each other? A kiss. Sometimes two. One on each cheek, right? Um, the first time I remember meeting Felice, I noticed that he was this short little man with a really heavy accent, and he grabs my head and kisses both cheeks, and I was mortified. I was, my mother doesn't even kiss me like that. I don't even know you. This is weird. So over the summer, Felice, this is 40 years later now, right? Felice comes to visit my cousins, his, his sons that both live here uh, in uh, the West Coast. And he came to visit my dad knowing that it's probably going to be the last time that my dad will recognize him or know who he is. And, and so he comes and all the family, we kind of get together. My sister lives in Marietta and they all live in like Orange County. And, and, and so we, we all converged on Temecula, this whole group of loud Italians. And we show up at, well, I know it is a Safeway uh, shopping center, but it's the Tower Plaza there in Temecula, right? And there's this little Italian restaurant. I don't know what it's called. I can't remember, but it's so good. And we show up, and they had set this big old table up for this big Italian family. And um, 
I forgot to warn my kids. So we show up, we go in there, and this little Italian man, uh, who I think is actually shorter than my son Isaiah, uh, who's 10, and he comes up and he grabs each of their heads and he kisses each cheek and all this. And then after they all run into the corner and start giggling and stuff. And one of, afterwards, one of them uh, in the car driving home, uh, he goes, that was weird and kind of uncomfortable. And so I explained the culture, and then they appreciated it. And it really is. It's a beautiful culture. Because here's why. Physical touch, in whatever form it comes, produces a reaction, doesn't it? There, there's an emotional reaction to physical touch. Because it, it indicates some sort of intimacy, right? When you touch somebody. Just even if you touch someone's shoulder, there's something to that. Uh, and, and there's an emotional rea reaction. Now imagine being a person who instead of being kissed on both cheeks and not expecting it, right? Imagine being the person who had to be isolated from all physical touch. And eventually, even if they were touched, wouldn't be able to feel it because they've lost sensation. That happen, can happen with leprosy and that we are going to see a man like that today. And we're going to see how the touch of Jesus changed everything for him. Now, Luke chapter 5. We'll go ahead and camp out there. You'll keep your finger there. We'll bounce around a little bit. But Luke 5, 12, it says, Well, he is one of those... While he was in one of those cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Previously, we saw last week, Simon Peter, he confesses Jesus as Lord and seeks distance from him out of fear because he's a sinner. And Jesus draws him closer. Well, this section, along with the following sections, will highlight Christ's authority to forgive sin. That would be to cleanse from the inside out. And then here we actually see Christ dealing with someone who is ceremonially clean on the outside and dealing with that. We have, of course, the setting in one of those cities. What city? We don't know. But he was in one of those cities. It's a generic place, a generic time stamp. Uh, we, of course, know it happened. Um, it just kind of occurs within this group of events that we've been looking at, and we will continue to look at over the next chapter or two. Uh, we don't know the location or the, or the time. It just says, like in Luke 5.1, it says, on one occasion. doesn't give us the time. Uh, verse 17, on one of those days. Uh, so we don't really see a change in time. We just have a block of time. We don't really see a change in time until verse 27 where he says, after this, he went out. Now, this and the following couple of chapters follow the same chronology as Mark's account. So that gives us an indication of its, and there's probably some good chronology here. Luke wasn't necessarily concerned with placing everything in exact order rather than uh, putting things in the right time period, um, almost thematically a little bit. He's worried about apologetics here. Uh, he doesn't give the location. 
We just know that it has to be in the, in the context of the end of chapter 4, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Let's go there real quick to, to refresh our memories. Luke 4, 43 and 44. It says, But he said to him, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And remember, Judea in that context can speak of the whole area that we know as Israel. Here's how Mark records today's account. Mark 1, chapter, or Mark chapter 1, rather, verse 40 through 45. It says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, we see here that Jesus is becoming quite famous. Uh, and so here uh, is how Matthew tells us about, it appears to be the same event, but it's just in a different order here. Um, in Matthew chapter 8, says, verses 1 through 4, When he came down from the mountain, the great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, Leprosy, this man, it says it was full of leprosy. It could have covered one of many different uh, skin diseases. Uh, quite possibly um, what's called Hansen's disease today. The World Health Organization and CDC both identify leprosy as Hansen's disease. Uh, it's a treatable bacterial infection. Uh, there are a couple of variants. One of them is more severe, more contagious, and more uh, less treatable than the other, or harder, harder to treat, rather. Um, but either way, it's still generally not highly contagious and is very treatable. But if left untreated, it can cause a lot of serious issues. Um, and back then, they didn't have the med medical intervention that we have today, the different medications and regimens that we can do to, um, to uh, treat leprosy or Hansen's disease, it would have included, uh, you know, untreated, you would have lesions, disfigurement, loss of sensation. Some of the disfigurement uh, could um, come because there's no sensation and so you can burn or injure yourself without really knowing it or realizing it. Here's what the CDC says. If left untreated, the nerve damage can result in paralysis of hands and feet. In very advanced cases, the person may have multiple injuries due to lack of sensation, and eventually the body may reabsorb the affected digits, resulting in the apparent loss of toes and fingers. 
Corneal ulcers and blindness can also occur if facial nerves are affected. Other signs of advanced Hansen's disease may include loss of eyebrows and saddle nose deformity resulting from damage to the nasal septum. Sad. <laughs> can you imagine? Like, and the Jews called leprosy the finger of God or the stroke. It, it was thought to be the result of God's judgment or punishment on a person for some great sin. It's been considered a living death. It was also considered incurable at the time because they didn't have the medicines that we have today. So in Leviticus, there's a whole process that would take about eight days in which the priest would verify if someone had been made clean from leprosy. There was also a whole process to determine whether or not someone had leprosy or if it was a less serious skin condition. Leprosy rendered somebody to be considered ceremonially unclean. And there were some very serious social distancing measures or mandates that they would have to follow. The leper would be isolated from the community, would have to live outside or outside of the camp, and would not be allowed to have any meaningful interaction, even with their own family. Don't bail for the doors. I'm good. Um, in some cases, there would be a leper colony because the only person that could touch a leper or be near a leper would be another leper or, in a rare case, maybe a priest. John Nolan said, The uncleanness of leprosy is a potentially powerful image for human defilement and sin. You see, because it will defile a person, it will make them unclean, it will separate them from the community of believers. Luke tells us that this man was full of leprosy. It means he had probably had these awful lesions uh, all over his body. His hands and feet and face were likely terribly disfigured. He probably would have been hard to even look at. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Well, he was in a begging posture, but... This was more of a confession. Listen, last week we saw that Simon Peter knew Jesus. He, he fell to his knees when he saw his power and authority. And if you remember, they had they'd fished all night long and they were cleaning their nets after getting zero fish. Jesus says, go give it another shot. And they almost sunk two boats with all the fish. And finally, Peter confesses him as Lord, falls at his feet. And in John 20, we see Thomas. Remember what happened with Thomas after uh, Jesus was crucified? He had to verify that this Jesus had indeed risen from the dead by actually seeing the risen Lord and touching him. John chapter 20, verse 24 through 29, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of his nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, 
my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to them, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, now that doesn't mean that Thomas wasn't blessed because he saw him and believed and verified it. But the fact that people, you know, the, 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 there are people who don't have to see that, that there was a special blessing there for that kind of faith that would seem. The leper fell. The leper fell at the feet of Jesus simply upon seeing him and knowing who he was. He, he didn't need to have any verification. He saw Jesus, he knew the stories, and he believed. He understood his desperate need and believed before he had any proof. And one of falling on one's face before a person is a, is a form of worship. There's, there's reverence there. We often come to Jesus in prayer like he's a genie in a bottle sometimes, right? Some like magical sky fairy. Like we fold our hands, we close our eyes, and out pops Jesus saying, what may I do for you, my master? <laughs> like, yes, Lord, baby, bottle Jesus. Uh, please help me get this promotion and for little Johnny to get good grades and for Uncle Lou to be healed from his cancer and stretch our budget this month. And God... Uh, bless us food to our bodies. And listen, all those things are really good. They're good to pray for. We should pray for those things. But how often do we start our prayer with a confession of our unworthiness or His majesty? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a good way to start a prayer, I would think. I mean, since Jesus taught us to pray that way, right? Like, in this man, he, he doesn't demand or even ask directly. Sure, it's a, it's a, it's a posture of begging, but, but he confesses that Jesus, if Jesus is willing, he can make him clean. It's more of a confession than it is a request. Some of you have seen some of the faith healers out there on TV, right? We know who they are. They, they have this idea that if you pray with enough faith, and maybe you give enough, um, but if you pray with enough faith and you really, really, really believe God has to do as you have prayed, he, he, he has to heal if, if you've asked and you really, really, truly believe. Of course, we know this to be false. Many years ago, when I was in youth ministry, we had a, a new family show up to the church I was in, and, and one of the pastors of this church introduced me to this young man and his mom, and, and this junior high kid, his, his face was disfigured uh, significantly because he had a con condition that would cause fast-growing tumors in his jaw and throat. They weren't cancerous, but they would grow very quickly in that area, at one point, part of his jaw had to be removed and was replaced with a rib. And so these, because the tumors would appear and they would, they would grow rapidly, he had a trach tube as well uh, so that if his throat would close up, he could unplug that and breathe. 
he came to youth group, and uh, he was such a nice kid. He was just a cool kid. All the other kids liked him. Uh, just didn't have any social problems at all. Um, really neat kid. But after youth group, almost everyone had gone, and his mom this one night came in to speak with me, and she began asking about prayer and asking about healing and about, asking about what I believed. And, and frankly, I don't remember how I answered, but it, at least she was satisfied. And she told me that she had pretty much written off church, that this was her last chance at going to church at attending a church service and being involved in a church body. And she began to tell me about this previous experience that she had. They had brought this young man to this Pentecostal, very highly Pentecostal church, and the pastor slash faith healer uh, had laid hands on him and, and prayed for him. And after him, the elders and whoever uh, were through praying, the pastor declared that this young man was healed. And they were excited. Like, can you imagine? Your son is, has this serious, serious condition, and wow, he's healed. Well, they canceled all the doctor's appointments. They canceled chemotherapy and radiation. They took him off all of his medicine. They, they believed that he was healed. Well, the doctor, after finding that they had canceled all of his appointments, called his mother. In fact, if I remember correctly, he even appealed to the very passage we're looking at today and told the mom, hey, listen, if he's healed, Bring him in, keep the appointment, bring him in, and let us verify it. Mom's, the boy's mom said, well, uh, we don't need to do that. You must not have the kind of faith that we have. We have no reason to have to verify this. He is healed. We know this. We have absolute confidence in this. And everything was going great until a few weeks later, or a short time later, I'm not sure exactly how long, Short time later, the tumors came back with a vengeance. He had to have emergency surgery. He had to suffer through much more severe chemotherapy and radiation. And his mom went back to the church so confused. She, she told the pastor, hey, listen, you said he was healed, and, and, and he's not. What happened? And the pastor said, well, you and your husband must not have enough faith. Oh, no, it gets worse than this. She told this pastor about how they had ended all medical intervention and, and scolded the doctor for not having enough faith. And then the pastor, he says this, well, then you or your husband must have some unconfessed sin that's causing God not to heal your son. My Italian response <laughs> was like, what's the name of that pastor? I... I I know some Italians that know some Italians. That, like, you know where this is going. I was, no, I was seriously mad. I got so angry. I don't, I don't think in my post-healing of issues life that I've been that angry. The, the spiritual, that, that, that is spiritual abuse at best. And, and I became so angry. I wanted to re-educate this pastor How dare 
dare you excuse your bad theology by telling a mother that it's her fault that God didn't heal her son. That was horrible. You see, it, it's not a lack of faith to want verification. That is not a lack of faith. It's not a lack of faith to ask for God's will. It's how Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. It wasn't a lack of faith, but rather a faithful acceptance of God's sovereign decree. When the leper said, if you will, you can. It was a confession of faith. It was a trusting in God's will. The fact is that this was the one way he was able to rightly worship God. The leper recognizes Christ's sovereign prerogative and submits his own will to the will of Jesus. That's what faith is. He was willing to pray and be satisfied with God's will. Most of us don't have it as bad as leprosy. And I wonder when we think that we know what's best, if we can pray and trust God to demonstrate something different. Go to verse 13, Luke 5, 13. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the, the, the leprosy left him. I will, I will be clean. Mark, Mark puts it that Jesus had compassion. Jesus didn't heal the man because he asked right or because he had enough faith or because his worship was sincere enough. This wasn't about the leper at all. It was about Jesus. Jesus had compassion and he willed that the man be healed. And because healing leprosy was more about making someone clean than fixing an ailment. Here's what Desiderius Erasmus said. I love this. Jesus provided this example to show that there is no fault so horrible or deadly that it cannot be forgiven. We have this, today, this newfound instinct to retweet quickly the moment we hear someone cough or sneeze, right? Leprosy. Leprosy was a communicable disease. Not as contagious as COVID. They didn't know that. But it was wor worse than a death sentence to contract leprosy. Going through town uh, or, or, or around where there were people, a leper would have to call out, unclean, unclean, so that people would know not to go near him or her. The leper was considered to be unclean. Anything that touched a leper would become unclean. And what did Jesus do? He touched the leper. He touched him. Kent Hughes said, all of us have offended a perfectly holy God. But none of us is beyond God's love and Christ's redemption. None of us is beyond his touch. Just like, the, just like the demons and the fever and the fish before it, the leprosy submits to the authority of Christ. 
Spiritual beings are subject to Jesus. Illness is subject to Jesus. Nature is subject to Jesus. And Jesus has authority over what is and isn't clean. This wasn't just healing of a physical condition either. Jesus dealt with his social condition as well. Not only was the lack of external pain that would cause horrible disfigurement gone, but the promise of healing from intense internal pain of isolation is also given by Jesus. Be clean. That's better than be healed. Be clean. And what has made this man unclean submits to Christ's authority and it's gone. We continue in verse 14. It says, And he charged him to tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing and Moses command, as Moses commanded, rather, for a proof to them. He charged him to tell no one. Now that's a strange order because Jesus wants to be known, right? He, he wants people to know he's Messiah. He wants the good news to be spread. I must go to other towns to preach, right? But he says not to say anything. And here's the other weird part. Why did Luke write the Gospel of Luke? There are two important genre features of Luke. One, it's a historical narrative. But number two, it's an apologetic work. His goal was to find out the truth and make sure people knew it. In fact, you might remember the very first part of our series when we looked at that in Luke 1, verses 3 through 4. It seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, O most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In fact, that's the name of our series, that you may have certainty. Jesus wasn't just concerned with the leper's physical restoration. He was also concerned with his social restoration, which would require under Mosaic law a process. He tells him, go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. The man was no doubt clean. Jesus cleansed him. But to be considered clean for the sake of fellowship in the community, the priest would have to verify that. It was an eight-day process of making sacrifices, going through some cleansing ceremonies. You, you can read about that in Leviticus 14, which is, and it's kind of a long section, and we're not going to read a long section of Leviticus right here, right now, uh, but it's in your bulletin in the, in the notes there. Uh, read it with your family today, and then talk about it, because it has some really interesting ways in which it kind of points towards Christ. Um, and, and so do that. It, it's really interesting. Why would Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the second person of the Trinity, require a human priest to verify his miraculous works? Now, certainly it could have been to remove all doubt, but I think it goes much deeper than that. I think it's, it's the second part of this healing. He's continuing to touch this man. He's continuing to heal this man. I think it's... It's to heal the social problem here. See, we're in Israel at that time, right? It's, they would have been concerned about following Mosaic law.
And so, in following the law, the man was healed of his social state. It was for proof, but the proof would be that the priest verified it so that the people would know that he was clean and not have to distance themselves from him any longer. Something to notice, though, is that there's nothing wrong with verifying something. There's nothing wrong with verifying what we read. There's nothing wrong with verifying what we're told. Isaiah 118 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. And that reasoning, look, at it's connected even to salvation. Look, though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. When we reason through the scriptures, we then develop the tools to help others to do the same. Sometimes part of evangelism is giving a defense for our own faith, right? 1 Peter 3.15, it says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do with gentleness and respect. It says, for anyone, that person may just need to hear your testimony. That person may need more faith. Be prepared. Be ready. Know why you believe what you believe. And so Jesus is here revealing who he is with these acts of, of mercy. It's kind of like our theme for the year, grace in motion, right? Jesus is actively and continuously extending grace that is rooted in compassion for people. This man was unclean, and Jesus touches him. That's grace. I often get someone who, they'll find out that I'm a pastor, and then they, they try to shock me with how bad they've been. Like, and like I've, been, I've been around a while. I, I've heard a lot. I used to work as a chaplain over at the Paris Speedway with all the NASCAR fans, right? Like, I've heard a lot. You, you're not going to shock me, and you're not going to convince me that you are beyond the reach of God's grace because you're not. Nobody is beyond the reach of God's grace. Try this. When somebody upsets you, ask yourself what it would look like to treat that person with compassion instead of anger or sadness. And then do that thing. Give it a shot. One more thing I want us to notice here is that there's a popular preacher out there who said that it's time that Christians would unhitch the Old Testament from their faith. It's a little thing we call heresy, okay? Like, it's time that Christians unhitch the Old Testament from their faith. Gosh, I wish he was around 2,000 years ago to give Jesus this great advice. Like, if only Jesus had known, he wouldn't have had to put this poor leper suit through such an inconvenient process. Like, no, the truth is that Jesus is validating the Old Testament here. 
Jesus would never tell you to unhitch the Old Testament from your faith. Like, and, then, and yeah, he did fulfill the sacrificial and the ceremonial requirements of the law when he went to the cross. But listen, if we ignore those Old Testament laws, we cheapen Christ's death. When we negate the Old Testament, that's an ancient heresy called Marsonianism. It's always been rejected by Christians. There's nothing new under the sun. It's heresy. Reject it. Jesus here is demonstrating the importance of Mosaic law, particularly since he hadn't died yet. And, 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 and it points us to the fact when we look at the Old Testament, when we look at the law, we see the cost, the weight of sin. We see what Jesus bore on himself. Without the Old Testament, we can't fully see that. It's very important. And Jesus validates that. Let's continue on, verse 15. But even, now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear. And Mark is more specific here. He says he went out Mark 1.45, he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and the people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, I don't know why this is. I know I'm here. I can't be the only one. We, we can't even share the good news about Jesus when we're commanded to. This guy was told to keep quiet and couldn't keep his mouth shut. That's challenging for me. Like, how astonished am I at what God has done in me? If I were to understand who I am and who he is and how he has transformed my wickedness into something holy, shouldn't I be so astonished that I can't help but yap about it? Luke is demonstrating for us that the work of Jesus ought to be responded to because it is verifiable. And if it's verifiable, it's true. And one of, the, one of the primary purposes of the Gospel of Luke is this. He's undertaken an entire project of interviewing witnesses like a, like a good historian or, or an investigative reporter. He's examined the data. He's talked to Mary. He's talked to Mark. He's talked to all these people. He's verified the truth. And, and that is what he's writing to Theophilus. When we put the power and authority of Jesus on display, people can't help but notice. For those of us who know Jesus, we have... We've examined what we needed to understand. Now, for some of us, it was nothing. We just, we didn't need a lot of proof. Some of us needed a lot of proof. But we've, we've taken what we needed to verify that Jesus is Lord, and we have the truth of Jesus, and there's great power in holding that truth. It has transformed our lives. Excuse me, now I've coughed and I've sneezed. <clears throat> Don't run. Um, God's grace is irresistible. Our sincere response is to love and to follow Jesus because his grace is irresistible. How can the will, how can the will of Jesus transform this man from the outside and the man not actually be transformed? If you were the leper, could you help but be transformed by that? 
how can we say Jesus has transformed us if we don't live transformed lives? It sounds ludicrous, but how many of us have been justified by the blood of Jesus, which he spilled for, that, for us on the cross by his good grace, and somehow we walk around in our daily lives completely unastonished at the work of God? Listen, I don't deserve the next breath I will take, and yet each day my Lord wakes me to participate in the holy task of building something that will last forever by his power and his strength. How dare I not be astonished? I should be astonished at every undeserved breath he allows me to take. And instead, I often, and I'm confessing this to you, I often walk into my office, this is right here on church property, unastonished and worried more about what people are going to think than thanking God in astonishment for his work. God, forgive me. We all need to look at Jesus like this leper. We need to see him and fall on our faces in our miserable condition and cry out to him, Lord, if you're willing, spare me of the shame of my sin. And all this is taking place and what is Jesus respond? How, what is his response to his own work? Verse 16. But he withdraw, would withdraw to a desolate place. Jesus had told the leper to say nothing. He wasn't looking for this, his own glory in his humanity. He, he knew he was going to be glorified. He's God, right? It, but here, Jesus demonstrates humility. Now, if anybody, of anybody to demonstrate humility, the one who created all, I don't, I don't think he's getting all peopled out. Um, I don't think he's getting, I don't think he has social anxiety. Um, remember the hypostatic union? Right? Jesus is fully human and fully God at the same time. But in his humanity, he recognizes his desperate need for communion with the Father. Therefore, he withdraws from all of these people who are clamoring on him, and he goes to pray. Listen, Jesus didn't have the mentality of a stereotypical rock star. I've, I've read biographical accounts of how some, some faz, famous music artists have like absolute disdain for their own fans. I read one where the guy actually spit in the face of one of his fans. And famous people, they're those people that, that the masses tend to clamor for a glimpse of, or maybe if they're really lucky to get an autograph. And here's this man, full of leprosy, approaches Jesus. The masses are around Jesus, treating him like we see so many people treat, uh, that are famous being treated today. And, and, and th this, this man, who probably shouldn't have been where he was, comes up to Jesus. And imagine the people. They like Jesus, but probably not enough to be rubbing shoulders with a leper. So they scatter, right? Maybe they stayed close enough to see what's going on. I don't know. But guaranteed, they didn't stay huddled close to him. And so the leper's there, and it's just the leper and Jesus. And how did Jesus respond to that? Did he roll his eyes? Did he reach out his ring to be kissed like he was a mobster or something? 
Did he simply just kind of put up with the man? Like, okay, fine, just another person looking for healing. No. Looked upon the man with compassion. God is the author and creator of all. And his greatest creation, the humans who are made in his image, and then betrayed him. And yet, his compassion was such that he gave his only begotten son to live in that corruption among humanity that has wrought corruption on itself and then died a sinner's death to take our place so that we could be forgiven. And we remember the body and blood of Jesus when we receive communion. It's, a, it's, it's very sacred to us because it demonstrates that he took our uncleanness upon himself and then applied his perfect purity and perfection upon us. As you prepare to receive, I would ask that you would fall at the feet of Jesus in worship. Recognize that you are clean only because he has made you clean. And, and if you're here today and you have not repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus, we would respectfully ask that you please do not partake of what we consider to be sacred. We also ask that you would consider the body and blood of Jesus. That if you were to turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus, he will cleanse you. It's God's work. We say that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, and to God alone be the glory. If you had surrendered your life to Jesus this morning, we ask that you would see one of us uh, so that we can, we can pray for you and help you to get him to know him better. You can see myself or Pastor Clint. Josh is over here. Lance is in the back. We've got a lot of people here that are leaders that would love to pray with you. Jesus is not condescending towards any of us. He is the God of compassion. And he touched a leper. And he will not turn from any of us, no matter how clean we have become, if we would repent. After he made the leper clean, he didn't flaunt it. Hey, look how compassionate I am. Look, touching a leper. <laughs> like he, he wasn't virtue signaling. He responded to his own work with prayer. Listen to what Johannes uh, Bren said. Johannes Bren said, uh, what can be sweeter than prayer? By which we talk with the Lord our God and discuss things with him with regular conversation. For God is our Father, our Savior, our Redeemer, and our happiness. And so as we come before God's table, let us come prayerfully and worshipfully to Him. 
let us come together and talk with the God of all power and authority and know that as we fall before him, he looks upon us with love and compassion. Our holy God, we thank you that you have chosen to heal those of us here whom you have cleansed of our sin, which has so completely soiled us. Lord, forgive us of our sins, for we have not loved you with all our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. And we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not lived in astonishment and obedience to your son Jesus. We have often shown ourselves to have not been convinced in the way we live. Help us to be fully convinced and to serve you faithfully in all that we do. God, make us holy. Give us the humility to understand who you are and to recognize who we are and to fall at your feet in worship. Let us receive your perfect will with gladness. Give us, Lord, the strength and the will to be obedient and submissive to you. Lord, be present with us now as we prepare our hearts to receive this sacred feast before us. You have taken our sin and our filth and you have made us clean by the blood of Jesus. And it is by your unending grace that the blood of Jesus was poured out on that horrible, wretched, beautiful cross. Lord, humble us now as we prepare to receive this holy meal in the name of our Lord Jesus.
you can see how the little chalices work here the bottom piece you can pull out that bread in his letter to the Corinthian church Paul says for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake together. Be careful when you open the top piece. It'll spill and uh, stain. <laughs> In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us partake. St. Paul continues, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we cry out, come Lord Jesus. We await your holy presence. We long to serve you with humility and with gratitude on your terms and in your kingdom. Lord, we pray that you would continue to touch us, to cleanse us of the sin which has so horribly disfigured us on the inside. We offer ourselves over to you as living sacrifices of praise. Lord, go with us as we enter our week. Be present with us in our mission field. And give us strength in those things. We pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.